So we don't really, you know, is it a primary? We don't have a real primary. It sucks. It is what it is. Um, look, it is very much like the other single biggest crisis in my life right now, the Achilles tendon of Aaron Rodgers. And uh, as Jets fans, we're just used to the fact that like, you know, things suck, things go wrong, and you have to play the games anyway. That brings me to, I should probably introduce us. I'm Megan McArdle, columnist with the Washington Post, and I'm joined here by two of my colleagues to talk about the Republican primary debate, and I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves. Sure. I'm Jim Garrity. I'm the senior political correspondent of National Review, because that's what you call a political correspondent who gets old. Uh, and ironically, I more or less work for Ramesh. And I'm Ramesh Panuru, the editor of National Review, and I'm keeping an eye on Jim here. Good. I'm glad we have supervision. Okay, guys. So, uh, hope or despair coming out of the uh, the second GOP primary debate? Well, I didn't watch the first one, and uh, I, I, you know, I dreaded it so much that I went to find some peace and quiet over in Ukraine. And uh, last night, I just I found myself really missing Ukraine, uh, the air raid <laughs> sirens, all that kind of stuff. No, uh, semi seriously, actually, I was knowing that right now this is not a terribly competitive primary at all that Trump is ahead by 40 or 50 points and that this is the scramble for second place with a bunch of guys on that stage who are at about one to two percent. Once you price all that in, it actually was a more enjoyable or or more worthwhile debate than I thought. I've heard a lot of people griping about the crosstalk, which is an entirely fair complaint. Um, But this is part of the, the process that which we put candidates through their paces and some candidates rise and shine and and you know look really good in this process and other ones kind of fade into the background others break a leg i i found myself um not longing for ukraine where i haven't been but for the comparative decorum and sense of the first debate um which in real time i didn't have that high an opinion of but um was smoother did did give you more exchanges um, more actual disagreements and uh, and sort of more themes that um, we could think about and sort of advance a productive debate. The thing that strikes me in terms of the the major question that um, that Jim brought up, like, are we going to have a real primary or not? Partly, there's a question of what time to, to use the new right slogan. What time do you think it is? Um, do you think that this is early in the primaries because voters are still months away from casting any votes? Or do you think it's late because um, you need to have everything in place uh, by now and you need to have winnowed the field by now? Um, if you think that it's still early, then I think you as uh, I think you, you can have some hope that there's going to be a primary, um, but, uh, but not if you think it's late. Yeah, I got to confess, I'm on, I'm on team all over but the shouting. Um, so things are a little weird right now in the GOP primary. We've got a former president who's running for the nomination, who has a big lead in the polls and isn't showing up at the debates. But we've still got a group of other Republicans who are arguing on stage and hoping for the nomination. So I want to catch the mood of conservatives right now. So I'm going to throw it to you all. How are you both feeling about this situation? Is it uh, panic, resignation, disappointment, hope, something else? Let's start with you, Ramesh. Well, I am uh, not representative of all conservatives in that I have a much less favorable view of Donald Trump um, than uh, than most conservative Republicans do. Uh, and I think it's 
pretty important, actually, that he not be the Republican nominee, um, which is also a sense of urgency that the Republicans who are not for Trump don't seem to feel at this moment. Um, so all of that said, I am I'm concerned, I'd say, is the uh, is the way I personally uh, am feeling about the direction of this race. Or non-race, as it may be. <laughs> yes, indeed. The like, this is, is that the weird feeling of like a, you know, third grade participation trophy walk where, you know, everyone's going to get a little medal at the end saying they were here and then none of it really matters. Uh, Jim? Look, you know, if Ramesh is a, a Trump skeptic or not a fan, uh, he's warm and fuzzy compared to my feelings towards Trump. Uh, but from the beginning of this process, about half the Republican Party has been hell-bent for leather. Trump is going to be our nominee. We love this guy. He totally won in 2020. Uh, he could do no wrong. He criticizes pro-lifers. We don't care. Uh, you know, they're totally for him, which meant it required the other roughly half the party, which maybe less, maybe like 40%, maybe 30%. Um, needed to galvanize around somebody really fast. And so far that hasn't, to the extent we've had any drama in this race. It's been Ron DeSantis starting as the, clearly the, you know, the second strongest candidate and the, the strongest non-Trump option. And he, the story of the polling is that he's basically slid back to the rest of the pack. He's still not in bad shape, but right now Trump is well ahead. Those who of us would like to see somebody else, uh, you know, like we, the, the, the primary is still going to go on. It may not be competitive, but these debates still have to go. I'm sure Fox News and these you know networks that are broadcasting the debates would much rather have Trump on the stage. He clear like he's not suffering for not doing anything. There's not a single Republican out there is like, well, I was gonna support Trump, but then he's skipped out on the first two. And my understanding this this morning is that he's gonna skip out on the third one. There's not a single Trump supporter out there who cares that he's skipping these things. So he he looks untouchable. He you know there's nothing that's gonna get these people pissed at him. So. So here is here is the question about Trump. Are any of these candidates doing, I mean, Ramesh, you've talked about this, that they just, they won't go after him. Is anyone doing a kind of, aside from Chris Christie, who is, I think, not going to be president, is anyone doing a halfway good job of dealing with the Trump problem of the fact that the front runner of, of the debate is someone that you don't really want to attack because his fans are so rapidly attached, but that you, you still, it's a white, have to move past him to the presidency if you want to get there. Yeah, well, I think I think that the other candidates have a number of reasons for not attacking him. One is you would need his supporters in a general election. Um, another is there's a certain kind of intimidation factor I think you can see with uh, with some of these candidates, which you know, obviously, if you want to be president, you need to be able to overcome. Um, and then there is you know, sort of a strategic calculation that well, maybe somebody else will um, bring his numbers down or he will bring his own numbers down and you can inherit some of his supporters without having alienated them by too harsh of a set of attacks on him. I, I don't think that... Oh, and then finally there's this idea that, oh, let's consolidate all the anti-Trump votes and then we will, um, you know, by, by criticizing the other potential anti-Trump candidates or non-Trump candidates, and then we can have a one-on-one -on -one race um, and uh, and where we have that actual fight. I, I don't think that particularly that last strategy makes sense when you have um, a front runner who's as far ahead as Donald Trump is. Um, and I think in, in particular, the other Republicans have to challenge head on the idea that um, he won in 2020. You know, have to forthrightly say, 
that he in fact lost. Um, you know, you don't even necessarily have to say that his um, attempt to deny it and to overturn the election um, was shameful, although it was, but you have to at least challenge the idea that the guy has won two presidential elections in a row if you want to, if you want to make the rest of your case to Republicans as to why they should ditch him. Jim, what do you think? Is there is there a strategy that one of these guys could be pulling off that they're not? Yeah. Well, I th- I think DeSantis is the most interesting uh, topic or, or figure to look at here because, yeah, you have, you know, if any non-Trump challenger faces this very, you know, surgical precision level challenge of how do you get people who already love Trump and they love him to peel away from him. And if you go in direct against him, say he stinks like Chris Christie did, they're going to they're going to tune you out. It's not going to be persuasive. DeSantis tried this, you know, to to thread the needle um, and saying, well, look, I'm kind of like Trump. And I think he definitely emulated Trump on things like, you know, describing Ukraine as a territorial dispute. Uh, There are a bunch of ways. Look, trust me, I'm kind of like Trump. Look at, you know, look at all this stuff. And yet he's different. And I I think by trying to do half and half, I'm kind of like Trump, but I'm different from Trump. He was too Trumpy for the Republicans who don't like Trump. And he was too critical of Trump for the Republicans who do like Trump. And he ended up with kind of the worst of both worlds. And I think that's a factor in how he's declined over the last couple of months there. I think what DeSantis or any other, you know, like the, 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 you really had to make a much more direct challenge. Because like, given a choice between Trump or almost Trump, Trump fans are going to pick Trump. They're, they don't want any substitutes. They don't want diet Trump. They don't want... Uh, low calorie Trump, zero sugar. Like <laughs> Trump they, light, one third less attacks on the Constitution than regular Trump. Yeah, the real thing. Um, and so I think what the, what what any Republican challenger needed to do is to say to Trump voters, I know he makes you feel good, I know he gets you riled up, but he's not good for you. He, he's political junk food, and let me show you why. And you could point out about why he's bad for the Constitution. You point out about why he's bad for the Republican Party. You point out for why he's bad for the country. And like, you know, he's bad for you because he riles you up, but then he never has a plan. He always thinks by riling you up, he will get what he wants and, and the, the political system will generate the results he needs. And it doesn't. He do, you know, look at January 6th. He did not stay as president. He's got one move and he keeps making that one move and it doesn't work out for him and it doesn't work out for you. It'd be a tough, you know, it'd be a tough sell, but ultimately it's what these, you know, these Trump voters need to hear. And I don't, you know, nobody, very few people in this race uh, are willing to try that. And I, I think if you're not willing to take it on directly, uh, you're, you're in this constant sense of, well, you know, I'm just Trumpy enough to people who don't want any substitutes. Look, the argument against Trump might not work. You know, there's plenty of reasons for thinking it won't work. But, you know, if that's the case, then you can't win anyway. So you may as well um, yes. try to land well, I mean, it. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, I genuinely can't figure out why. Why is Mike Pence on that stage? Right? There's no circumstance under which Mike Pence is going to win the presidency. Why is anyone enabling him? What I actually thought in the first debate, he was there to like make the case that he did the right thing on January 6th, which he actually, I think, did pretty effectively. But he's not going to be president. And why, you know, I want to go back to something you said, actually, Ramesh, which is that the field, that the strategy of consolidating is not going to work because Trump's lead is too big. And, you know, that is something that um, I've been I've been like waiting to happen. Maybe but if that's not going to work, then what what are we doing here? 
why why did we spend an hour and you know some moments of our uh of our wednesday night looking at these guys on stage did any yeah, of it matter well, uh, I, I did it because I, I'm, I'm it's my job uh if, if it weren't my job i don't know yes. i know why we did it that like, would, when, uh... <laughs> there are people in our audience who do not get paid to watch debates so i think i think one of the other questions that we've kind of come up to um the precipice of a couple times is how many of Trump supporters really are people who just love him and and are, you know, uh, absolutely, you know, hell bent for leather, I think was the way Jim put it earlier on his being the nominee. Um, I think it's a significant percentage. I don't think it is all of the people who are currently supporting him. Um, and there's, I guess, the one little glimmer of hope I can see for the other candidates. I think the fact that as recently as February his poll numbers were lower and DeSantis's were higher means that some of those people are not forever in his camp. If they weren't for him, then maybe they could be peeled back and you could start to have a real race again. Um, the question I think that uh, I'm sure, particularly the DeSantis campaign, um, which has plenty of money, has been studying is what are the distinctive characteristics and views of these people who like Trump but are not, you know, totally sure that they're going to vote for him um, for the next time around. How do you appeal to those people, right? What is it that they actually want to hear? And did anyone on this stage last night land it? I think DeSantis may have started to touch on uh, a, a theme that could be resonant. Actually, it was like Ramesh in our, uh, you know, live blog who kind of alluded to this idea that Trump or the DeSantis said, I've been the one who's been in the biggest fights and I'm the one who's in the, won the biggest fights. Now, I don't know if that necessarily will make a Trump supporter dislodge, but I think that if you're going to take on this larger-than-life personality, the guy who's really been like the lightning rod and the centerpiece of our politics since he came down that escalator in summer 2015. Like, no offense to Doug Burgum, but like, you know, some nice governor who people haven't heard of is not going <laughs> to... <laughs> you got to be a large personality and you have to be a large figure on the stage. And I think you can make the case that next to Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis has been the second most biggest lightning rod. Ramesh, any thoughts? I think there's one other thing that strikes me as sort of an unspoken uh, part of this campaign, which is that there is now so much contempt for Biden on the part of Republican mm. voters um, that they think he'll, he's a pushover. So they think that they think that anybody can beat him. And it reminds me of um, the first candidate, the first presidential race that I actually covered as a journalist, the 1996 race, where uh, which ended up being a blowout for Clinton, of course. But a year and a half beforehand, the Wall Street Journal was editorializing that anybody on the debate stage who didn't drool would beat Clinton. Um, and that was just an underestimation. And I think that there's a similar underestimation going on here. Joe Biden could very easily win this race. And, and just as over the last five or six months, Democrats have started to sober up and to think that Trump could win it all, uh, I think that uh, Republicans need to do a, a similar kind of sobering up. To me, it's quite reminiscent of 2016 when everyone was, oh, obviously Donald Trump is not going to win the presidency. Um, and people are now treating this as uh, um, sort of a foregone conclusion in a way that I, I agree is is quite dangerous for the party. So I'm going to wrap up with a lightning round question. Uh, say that Trump 
his bone spurs recur. He is forced to withdraw from the race. Who is the who is the nominee? And if he does go on to uh, to accept the nomination, as I think we all expect at this point, who is his VP? Jim. Uh, I, you know, my first gut instinct is, you know, if it's not Trump, then DeSantis is in second place and would have the best shot of accumulating that. I think last night, you know, it showed that Nikki Haley's got a lot of fight in her, and I would not completely hand wave and dis. Yeah, she has much more moxie than I was expecting. Um, you know, strange new respect. Yeah, you know, she look. She's the only candidate on stage who who knew what the mission, knew what the assignment was. Go up there and don't just have a nice night. Don't just have a good... Go out there and leave other candidates with no justification for staying in the race. Because you got to start knocking people right. off that stage and be the last candidate standing to go up against Trump. I'll take, um, the, I'll take the second half of the question and sure. say, I think Christy Noem of South Dakota um, makes some sense as... Uh, so no, as one, Trump, no one on that stage is going to be... As a Trump running... Well, I think... Trump that, said last night none of them looked like a vice presidential candidate. I, 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 Noam looked good in that South Dakota tourism ad. I think Noam, uh, you know, look, being being a woman and also being totally shameless, um, I think both of those things are going to have a strong appeal. Carrie Lake Erasure. Just... Uh, well, she's running for Senate, allegedly, so... Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, all right, guys, we're going to have to wrap it up. Thank you both for being here. It was a lot of fun to go into this with you. Uh, Ramesh, Jim, uh, thanks a lot and uh, have a great day. All right. See you guys. It was great. Thanks. Take care. Bye.